Thanks for joining another episode of the Coding's Pro Interview Series. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose. Today, we're joined by Dr. Harry Chaparrilis, coding subject matter expert at energy infrastructure company Enbridge. Harry, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well, Ben. Hopefully, you're doing Thank well you. down there. It's snowing up here in Canada, and we're hitting at minus 18C, so I'm not wow. outside, so that's a positive. And you're based near Edmonton, correct? That's correct, up in Edmonton, Alberta. If you are yep. a hockey fan, we have the Edmonton Oilers up here. Yep. We're not off to a great season yet. Yeah, we understand. We're based in uh, Houston. Well, I am at least. Of course, we have team members that are spread out throughout uh, North America and the world. But I'm in Houston where it's sunny and 60 degrees today. So, yeah, a bit nicer down here. We did just have the Astros win the World Series, which is good. However, uh, the Rockets and Texans, our other two pro sports teams, not so good right now. So we can empathize a little bit with uh, with how the Oilers are playing. We just need to get you a, a, an NHL team down there, then I can come visit more often. Yeah, we do. A lot of people follow the Stars because they're in Dallas, but the true Houstonians do not like cheering for Dallas teams. So, yeah, it would be nice to have one in uh, in Houston of our own so that nobody feels compelled to try and cheer for the team from, you know, dirty Dallas to the north, if you will. Oh, definitely. Anyway, I can understand that. Yeah. So today, of course, we're talking coatings, and I mentioned you're the coatings SME at Enbridge. Give us a little bit of a career biography, both your position now and what you're doing these days, as well as a bit about the path that led you there over the last 20 years or so. No problem. You, you never realize where you're going to end up when you start off as a student sometimes. And so, so my story goes back to 2001. I I got a bachelor in science and chemistry at the University of Alberta. So I was really gun ho with the, the chemistry side of the world and fuel cells. I don't know if you remember fuel cells. They were a big, big concept back in 2001. I was like, wow, green energy fuel cells. This is going to save the world. So and uh, I immediately went to graduate studies down in the University of Calgary, graduated a PhD in electrochemistry in 2006, promised everybody at my doctoral thesis that You'll all have direct methanol fuel cells on your cell phones by the time, you know, by five years. Uh, obviously, that didn't transpire. Uh, but that was sort of my first foray into coatings. Back then, it was metallic-based coatings. Mm-hmm. So I was working with really expensive stuff, you know, platinum, iridium, things that you'd put on an engagement ring, right, versus the uh, organic coatings that I'm working with now. Right. Uh, there wasn't really any jobs for chemists back when I graduated in Alberta, you know, even though we're oil-rich and uh, at that time, it was sort of a, a downtime in the economy. So I ended up getting uh, seduced to the dark side of corrosion. I uh, did a post, uh, sorry, a postdoctoral thesis at S.A. Johnson and Sons in Racine, Wisconsin. And that was sort of my first foray into organic coatings because uh, a lot of these canisters and aerosol sprays, they have a, an internal liner. Mm-hmm. It's an organic liner. And what happens to these companies, they'll, they'll formulate and they'll change these formulations. And sometimes they become more aggressive. And the last thing you want to have is a, uh, a can that's sitting somewhere in your house and all of a sudden you get a through wall perforation and the can explodes. You could, you could imagine as a, as a, as a company, that's not a letter you want to receive from a customer. No, but, no, so no. that was my first, my first foray into the coatings world. Uh, I quickly left, went to DNV at the time. Uh, it was actually CC Technologies where a lot of people at that company were involved with NACE at the time. It was a, a, a big volunteering effort from that company. They, you know, they were on task groups, committees, road standards, and just naturally through osmosis of being there, you naturally got incorporated into that, uh, into that structure of going, well, this is NACE. You know, this is awesome. You know, you have a conference once a year. 
in, in nice locations and you get to meet people. So that was my first foray into the, uh, the NASA app world. Uh, we eventually did move back to Canada. I went to work for the Alberta Research Council, which was uh, renamed Alberta Innovate Technology Future. Still in that world of corrosion. So once I went to corrosion and coatings, I haven't come back since, you know, 2001, essentially. Hmm. Uh, eventually ending up in an end user, right? So I don't know if many listeners out there, but my career path was always, you know, you start consulting, you learn as much as you can, and you always wanted to retire at an end user company. So back, in, as you mentioned, in 2015, I joined Enbridge, and I get to do all the fun stuff from the operator side now. So let's talk about the coatings that you typically deal with, because for Enbridge, you're protecting these energy infrastructure assets, largely pipelines, some above-ground storage tanks, those types of facilities. What are some of the technologies that are out there now, and how have they evolved over, I suppose, your seven years now, nearly eight years since we're going into 2023 with the company? Uh, evolving. That's a great question. Uh, they haven't really been. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not, not as much as I'd like for them to. Uh, you know, they're, they're mostly ba- organic based coatings. So for below ground pipelines uh, at Enbridge, we, we use liquid coating systems, right? Mostly epoxy based. Uh, for above ground assets, it's mostly paints, right? And the, the paints are epoxies and polyurethanes to have that nice fresh top coat. Uh, inside of tanks, it's an epoxy-based formulation as well for the liner. So technology-wise, we haven't seen a true step change in the technology in the last uh, decade. Actually, you can probably go further and say like the last 30 years. Uh, I'm sure some of the listeners out there will say, well, no, I got the next best thing. But nothing that's been adopted by the uh, you know the main users out there, nothing that's been revolutionary. Uh, I do have one area, though, that I think has changed significantly in the last 10 years. Okay. So you just said technology, in my opinion, keep keep in mind this is in my opinion, and right. my opinion does not necessarily represent my company's opinion. It represents my individual expertise opinion. Right. Uh, an area that has evolved quite a bit is actually on the contractor side, uh, quality. You know, quality assurance and quality control measures on the applications of coding systems, that has had a log change in the last 10 years. Uh, it started in Canada uh, with CSA 24530, which is a competency spec for applicators. It's basically how do you ensure a contractor is competent? And it had uh, it evolved into you know progressing their product data sheets into what's called the Manufacturer Qualified Application Procedure (MQAP) in Canada, which is really standardizing these between companies. Because right now, if you go out there and grab two product data sheets, you don't get the same information. It's not always the same test. So on the on the quality side, there's been a, you know leaps and bounds, in my opinion. So from the perspective of a pipeline operator, what are really the corrosion protection needs? What are you know just at a high level the concerns that you have when it comes to you know sustaining these lines, these storage tanks over time? What are you concerned about? Uh, how do coatings fit into that? And you know, I, I guess it's not just coatings. Obviously, there's cathodic protection you have to consider as well. But from a coatings perspective, what are the qualities that you're looking for and what are the concerns you have as, you know, the months and years progress with some of these assets? Yeah, so App has done a great job on on having standard, standards out there that uh, discuss different testing criteria and, and things that you need to meet to to be a good coating, in quotation marks, good coating. Uh, but by its very nature, actually, Ben, what's your background, Ben? I don't know what your background is. So, so I came up through like oil and gas trade pubs, and then I found my way to AMP. Basically, had some friends, and of course, AMP has a lot of clients in the oil and gas sector. Yeah. 
So, yeah, uh, basically I came up through oil and gas and just had connections and friends that worked at then NACE because I joined in 2016. So, yeah, long story short, I came up through uh, oil and gas publishing world. Okay, so technically, like, not a scientific background? Correct. Yeah, okay, I come per- from a journalism background, yes. Okay, perfect. So, uh, so I want to talk that, like, not not that it's a different level, but let's talk that way, right? So the easiest way to understand this is what do we use for most of our infrastructure? It's carbon steel. Right. Carbon steel, by its very nature, does not want to be carbon steel. It wants to be an iron oxide. So when we develop and refine this product. We find it as an iron oxide in its natural state. We put a lot of energy into it. It's an intensive process to produce steel. And steel naturally wants to go back to that you know, lower energy state, which is an oxide. So if you leave it exposed to any amount of water, right, and you can add other contaminants in there as well, it'll naturally corrode, right? And we have a whole industry and professional society based on this. So essentially what the coating's job is to prevent it's at first it's a barrier, right? Keeping that steel pristine and away from the environmental condition, whether it's inside a tank, whether it's a, you know, flow of a product inside of a, of a pipeline that has water settling or sediment potentially, or whether it's on the outside exposed to the buried soil. So by its very nature, it has to be a barrier film, right? So what's the next thing that you like? Well, you want it to, you want it to adhere quite well. You want it to last as long as it possibly can. You want it to resist water moisture, but not too much because you want it to actually work with the CP system, as you mentioned, on the cathodic protection side. Right? So they got to work together. Uh, and then you find the perfect coating then, and then you give it to an applicator. They got to be able to apply it. Right. So this can't be, you know, there's a lot of times that people will come to me and go, hey, I have the next best thing. It's already being used in the aerospace and in the automotive industry. And I'm like, well, that's great. But robots don't put my coating on. Right now, applicators, humans put my coating on. Uh, in the future, would it be great to have fully automated plants to do our coating application? Yeah, that'd be cool to see for sure. Right. So ease of application is very important as well. And then uh, different features, right? So the, the hardest part as a chemist and as a person in the coating world is you always want something that performs under high temperature expectations and is highly impermeable so things don't get through that barrier film. Right. You want it to be highly cross-linked. Right. So think of putting your fingers together and meshing them. Now, as soon as you do that, try flexing your hand and you're meeting resistance. Right. So if you want something that's very chemically resistant, all of a sudden you're losing some of those physical properties you want, like flexibility. When's that important? Well, if you're walking on the coating inside of a tank, if you think of a big atmospheric storage tank, it fills with oil and the oil level doesn't stay constant. It'll actually move up and down. So now that floor is flexing up and down. So it's a really tough question now that I've worked myself into this big circle of it really depends on what you want the coating to do. So you have to cater your coating technology and make sure that it's fit for service for its application, essentially. Mm-hmm. Wow. Did I, did I confuse you now? Hopefully not. Our listeners probably come from more of a scientific background than I do, so they may not find quite the value that I do, but I think everyone needs a back-to-basics approach so I love your ability to weave anecdotes and specificity with, you know, just a holistic overview of sort of how this fits in. We've talked about some of the application and maintenance practices. We've talked about the technologies, particularly from the standpoint of your career at Enbridge. Looking forward, I don't want to ask you about, you know, 20, 50 years from now, but that's that's just way too speculative. But when we talk about the next five to 10 years, is there anything coming that may impact the market in terms of technologies, application practices, regulations, 
what do you see coming down the pike in the immediate future? I suppose the next few years, because again, anything more than that is just way too difficult to predict. But is there anything coming down the, down the pike or on the horizon that could potentially change the market in the years ahead? I, I know for sure in some areas that, uh, you know, the, the VOCs are the volatile organic carbon. So you want to make sure when you're using these products, they don't release, you know, negatively impacting compounds into the atmosphere. That's becoming more and more prevalent. And, and in certain jurisdictions, they're, they're getting tighter and tighter on the, uh, the requirements there. Uh, for me, like industry wise, for below ground coatings, there's a big change that's coming up in Canada. So I just want to bring this one up because I think it's important to the readers, especially, or sorry, the listeners or those that are reading this transcript, I guess. Uh, to understand this one, and this this has to do with uh, CSA Z662 in Canada. So this is our, our regulatory standard up in Canada that we have to follow. And just in principle, you know, Enbridge LP that I work for, we hold ourselves to the higher standard regardless of where we're operating. So right now, if you look at my standards and you code a pipe, it doesn't really change if you're doing it in the U.S. or if you're doing it in Canada. It's the same. Right. Because we can't really justify to ourselves going, wait a second, we accept a lower standard in one jurisdiction versus another. So uh, when this changes in Canada, we follow a very similar model in the U.S. side. So what does that change? Obviously, Ben, uh, that's what the readers probably want to know. Uh, the main change there is 662 is going to actually require you to do something that's pretty game changing to the industry. It's requiring if you coated pipe that's going to go into below ground surface. So you've coated already come out of a plant. If it's been stored longer than three years from the date of coding, you need to do an engineering assessment in Canada to have it recertified, essentially. So what does that mean? It means, I don't know if you've watched the news lately, but it seems that when pipes are being, those pipelines are being built, it's taking a lot longer to get the pipe into the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some major projects have delays as, as far as, you know, six, seven years. Some have had delays of 10 years from when the pipe has been produced and the pipeline has never been built. So what does happen with the coating over time is there is degradation. And the concern from that CSA standard is how do you ensure that that pipe three years later, four years later, five years later, still meets the requirements of the day it was coated? Let's transition to talking about the role of AMP. And you came up through the NACE side, correct? You were saying earlier in your career? Yes, and that was mostly, like I mentioned, through my association at uh, CC Technologies or, or DMV. Most of the individuals okay. there were, were NACE, correct? Okay, just generally speaking, what have the associations meant for you over over your career? How have they helped you advance and progress and, I suppose, just learn more about this industry over these past couple of decades? Oh, I I think it's going to be similar to your experience in in coming into AMP. Uh, Just by uh, networking, the networking is the the biggest aspect of it, right? So so if you think about it, you're going to a a conference or individual events with – People that are in your industry, you're talking the same language, you're learning from them. So for, for me, the, the networking piece was quite large. Uh, and then let's look at the, the standards, right? The, the standards and the way we do things, SSPC and NACE standards are everywhere. Right? They tell us how to do things, how to prepare a, a, a sample, how to test it, what coding can be applied, what couldn't. They even look at competencies levels. So as an industry, AMP does a, an amazing job in that area. Uh, for me, you know, being a young individual, when I did start at the time, you want to get involved as quickly as you can because it's good to, to form those relationships. So if I look back on it, I think I've had about 28 AMP papers. Uh, I'm currently a, a member on the AMP Conference and Events Committee. I was the vice chair and chair of our local conference committee up here, the Northern Area Western Conference in Edmonton. 
just had our conference this this year in the in mm-hmm. the, the winter time frame. Five hundred people, right? Five hundred people you oh, get wow. to meet, many of which you know, right? And many of which you get to meet that are, you know, it's been COVID, which which was nice that that was over. So you got to meet people you haven't seen and you haven't, you know, talked to in over two years. It's been crazy. And you don't realize how much you miss that network. At least I didn't realize how much I missed that networking piece until I got taken away with the pandemic, right? Like you weren't seeing people, you weren't having those engagements. And many a good idea seems to flow over a couple of drinks with friends sometimes. So yeah, when you look absolutely. at the technology advancement and, and, and understanding your industry, that, that networking piece is, is, is huge, in my opinion. Where are you at on the certification side? I'm guessing you've taken some courses over your time? Yeah, yeah. So I probably not as advanced as I, as I should be. So when it comes to AMP certifications, I recently got my NACIP level two or my AMP coding, uh, certified coding inspector. So okay. I have that one right now. I don't do a lot of inspection on my side. I mostly deal with the, uh, the specification writing and, and, you know, providing the guidance to our inspectors of what they need to do. Uh, which by the way, Embridge on our side does fully utilize the, the AMP coding inspection program. So that's something that's actually mandated for our coding inspectors. So okay. they have to have that certification before they can do a work for us, which is critical. Uh, so the, really that's the only real one. I, I did get, hopefully not the listeners are going to get offended here. I did get an ACP level one way back in my career, but I never kept up that credential. Yeah. So it's, so it's level two now, right? Correct. I'm just too scared to go for my uh, senior certified coding inspector <laughs> course because I know a heck of a lot in the coding world and tank world. But if yeah. you ask me about bridge work and, and concrete, I'm going to be like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> gotcha. What are some of the things you're doing now? You mentioned uh, your work with like the the Edmonton conference and some of the things uh, in that section. What are some of the things that you're more active with on a year to year basis now? Uh, yeah, within AMP, it's, right now it's, that's my main commitment. I, I've learned over, over the years lately that I have to start saying no. So I've downsized my number of volunteer committees. So yeah. I am a member at large with the, uh, the AMP chapter here in Edmonton. I, I do sit on that uh, committee for, for AMP for the conference and events, but that's coming up, uh, ending this term soon. So if there's anybody <laughs> out listening out there and need any help on something else, let me know. Cause I, my commitments will be, my commitments will be opening up soon. Uh, I do sit on the CSA group, so that's for uh, writing the CSA uh, Z662 and the 245, 20, and 30 series. So those are for plant applications and for field applications of coding. So up in Canada, I do get involved in that area as well. Mm-hmm. And in general, it's 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 I don't know how much volunteering you do, Ben, but now I'm on my kids' parent council. I help <laughs> out with hockey. It's like oh my gosh, it's 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 a disease because as soon as you yeah. start volunteering, you can't say no. Yeah, trust okay. me, I know. Yeah, 100%. And it extends well beyond AMP. Yeah, anything, once you get to, uh, you know, a bit more advanced age, once you start, the commitments come like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, you're exactly right about that. Yes, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, uh, okay, yes, sure. Yeah. I can do it. Yeah, I struggle to say no, for sure. I get that completely. What can AMP perhaps do better? When we're talking about the next few years, obviously AMP, the bridging of NACE and SSPC, we're just approaching the two-year anniversary, which is in January. What are some of the things that the organization might can do better over the next few years as we try and represent both audiences? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I just recently took the CIP level two. I know they're revamping that course. When you do the pipeline coding section in that course, it is extremely outdated. 
So I know that they're working on fixing that material, which is great. So I, I think, so I guess that, that that's number one. Look at your material, right? And refresh your material. You know, some of the material hasn't been refreshed in a while. It, it's good to have more current and more situational uh, material that you'd see nowadays if you were an inspector. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that'd be great is we are like the leading technical society for writing standards related to the corrosion field. You know, now that we've merged between AMP and SSPC, like who else does coatings better? I'm sure some people in Australia are hopefully not listening and getting offended now, but I think we are the definitive international committee on that. Uh, what I'd like to see personally, right? Uh, we, we have all the members at the, at the table, right? There's operators, there's the suppliers, there's the consultants. It'd be great to see AMP take a more active role in leading like joint industry initiatives. Mm-hmm. So sure, you have, you have a standard on a set area. Uh, if there's something to solve, why can't we pool these individuals together and, you know, companies like me can provide some funding as well and do the research that then is used to back the updating of the standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. A good example is uh, last two years has been some really great papers on abrasive selection for coating performance. Right, a lot of us were taught that you know you just have to have the right profile and cleanliness on the surface, and that's good enough for coating performance. It's not. So Ant might not think that this is an area that they should be involved in, but personally, I'd put my money to support a map initiative in that area, depending on what the research is. So let's say you had a magic wand and could change some things about the industry. What would you do? So I got four. Can I, can I do four wishes? Ooh, wow. Yes, let's do it. Okay. I'm sure I can come up with more, right? But I, I want to keep the, uh, the listener engaged and don't have them click the uh, close button. I think the first one, AKA like Harry Potter style, like wave my wand would be to have contractors follow my spec with no mistakes. The issue with that is you have human error, right? And, and things get missed doesn't happen all the time, but it does still happen. So I don't know if that's robotics or getting some type of robotics would be great because whatever you program the robot to do, it's going to do. Right. So that'd be great to see robotics expanding in this field. It, you can see it in the automotive industry. You can see it in other sectors, but you don't really see it in the uh, oil and gas pipeline sector as much. So that's definitely one. Right. Uh, another item for sure. People asked me this before and I, and I answered this about five years ago, Ben. I don't know how you would do it. Right. But how can I recoat my pipe while it's still buried? It, it sounds like it's impossible, right? I don't want to excavate. I don't want to impact the local environment. I want to have some type of in situ coating repair method that reencapsulates the pipe and I'm good to go. That, that'd be cool. Uh, it, it sounds impossible to me, but you know, lots of things sounded impossible 50 years ago for the people at that time, right? Uh, another one that I thought would be really cool too is a uh, cure. Like, how do you know a coating's fully cured? especially when weather comes in and it starts raining or, you know, the, the, the temperature drops or, you know, you're rushing to get service done. You want to make sure that the coating's not off ratio. How do you know it's fully cured? You know, coating that starts off, let's say, green, it's red when it's fully cured or whatever color you want, maybe Embridge orange. You get Embridge orange, that'd be great, even better. Uh, the last one we hear a lot, like I looked at stuff I did Six years ago, I think I published one on a gap analysis before I joined Enbridge on different gaps in the coating industry. Uh, self-healing coatings, you hear about them all the time, right? It's not a new concept. You know, a coating that gets scratched, maybe it exposes the steel, and then it heals itself. It's still in the, it's not fully in the, in the implementation phase yet. 
It'd be great to see that technology. Whether it's a below ground coating, above ground coating, every time I have people pitch the idea to me, it usually involves some really obscure application method that would not be practical. Uh, I had one looking at, uh, uh, digress here a little bit. I had one looking at graphene. It was great. Graphene was really hard. It's a great coating. You know, it's really cross-linked. It, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to get penetrated. Uh, so you don't have to worry about things. And then I ask, okay, how are you depositing it? And they're like, on copper. And I'm like, yeah, but my pipeline's made of iron. They're like, yeah, but you'd have to put copper down first, then we'll put this down. And then all of a sudden they, they say that and you're like, okay, you obviously don't understand how long these pipelines run. They're very long and that's very difficult to do. Yeah. So self-healing would be great. Or even for paint, like, I don't know in your area where you live, if it's galvanized or your structural steel outside is painted, right? Depending on, on, on the environment, paint isn't the greatest sometimes. It does wear down. And I think operators in general it's harder and harder to justify maintenance painting when it's aesthetic right like a lot of stuff we paint at Enbridge there's a lot of things that we paint because it looks pretty not because it's providing corrosion protection up in northern Alberta the corrosion atmospheric rates are very very low right but if you leave something that looks corroded there's a natural instinct from the public to assume that it's not good right so if you do have painting you know a self-healing coating I think that would help in that area Areas that we need to fill gaps and low temperature stuff you can apply below minus 10C. That's 14F in Fahrenheit. Uh, are we there yet? Yeah, there's some coating technologies. Uh, they're not liquid coating based though, so that's that's a difficult area uh, for below ground coatings. I'll specify that for the listener because some people there's paints that can definitely cure that low, but for below ground coating systems, there's not. I think I could keep going and going. It's funny when a wish list becomes a laundry list. <laughs> Any last words of advice for anyone that's, say, new to the industry and following in your footsteps from 20 years ago? If you're a newcomer, when you talk to somebody at these networking events, um, what advice do you really give them for someone that wants to, you know, follow in your footsteps, if you will? And I guess just as a parting shot for our audience, give us some of your keys to success for anyone new to this industry. That's a, a loaded question, Ben. Uh I'll do my best. First of all, you, you can't follow in my footsteps. I can't follow anybody else's footsteps, right? It, it's so individualized, these experiences that we have, right, and, and how you go through your employment and where you end up in life at, at this point. Uh, for me, I think the biggest one is really get involved, right? You can be a seat warmer in a room, right, or you could be an active participant. The industry needs active participants. We don't need seat warmers. So even if you're young in your career, get yourself out there. Join committees. AMP has these communities of interest. That, that's a great way too, right? You can pose questions as a young engineer or a young professional there and get support from other individuals that are more senior. Uh, but really, it's that volunteering. I, I, personally, I think you need to get involved, and that's the best way for you to learn. Of course, one way to do that in your future is the AMP 2023 Annual Conference and Expo in Denver, Colorado. That's in March from the 19th to the 23rd. So I'll throw out a plug to that as a great way to get involved for anyone that's really trying to network and take advantage of some of these resources that Harry has thrown out. Harry, before we sign off, uh, any contact information that you want to plug as far as yourself or your company? If somebody wants to learn more from you or Enbridge, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I think there's obviously our website, but that's all the, uh, the information that's provided to the general public. If you do have an interest in asking a question, email me. I don't know how many emails I'm going to get from saying this, but it's Harry 
followed by a period, followed by my last name, which hopefully is on the website that's will posting be. this. Because otherwise, if I spell it now, you're still not going to get it right. So harry.chaparailis <laughs> at embridge.com. I will be in Denver, right? So if you want to shoot me an email and grab a coffee then to talk about your own personal development, I can do that. That's not an issue. Uh, get a hold of me early because, uh, as you can imagine, schedules uh, quickly fill up. Uh, and if you do send, send me an email and you don't hear an answer, send me an email again a week later and then do it one more week after that. And then if I don't answer, I apologize again. But life gets busy, right? And, yeah. and everybody's busy nowadays. For sure. And I think that's definitely going to be the case once we get on the other side of the holidays, which is when we'll be running this. So, yes, please send follow-up emails. I agree with that. Uh, if I miss something, it's often because it's buried in an avalanche of emails that I get, especially if it's after the holidays or I've been out for a little bit of time. So, yes, send that email again, and you might have a bit better luck with the response, depending on exactly when it is that the person sees it. Completely agree with that advice. Folks, good stuff there from Harry Chaparrelis. He's the coding SME at Energy Infrastructure Enbridge. And, of course, he mentioned how you can get in touch with him, and you can follow the company at Enbridge.com, and they've got all sorts of resources as far as, well, of course, they have a massive website because they want to tell the general public what's going on. But, yeah, you can find in-depth contact information there as well if you want to get in touch with Harry or anyone else at the company to learn more. With that, we'll bring this to a close. For Harry, I'm Ben Dubose, news editor at AMP. If you want more resources from us, you can go to amp.org, materialperformance.com, or codingspromag.com. Those are the websites for our publications within AMP, Materials Performance Magazine, and Codings Pro Magazine. Again, thanks, as always, to you guys for listening. Thanks to Harry for joining, and please come back soon for another new podcast from AMP.